A report is now calling for fewer Toronto police officers in cruisers and more on the street. And this is the uh, trans trans. Formational Task Force or something like that that uh, is one of these cool names that they come up with for these things and they've uh, made a number of suggestions and uh, earlier on today Tasha talked to Global's Mark Carcassel and gave us a little bit of an update on it. Here it is. They plan on having highly trained officers that will be uh, deployed into various communities throughout the city and you know in your community the hope is that you will see your neighborhood officer, your big cop, walking through your neighborhood, you will get to know them. There will be multiples, obviously, and they will be known as neighborhood officers, and that will be done sort of in three-year stints. So these officers will be hired to that role for three years at a time. Uh, the hope is that they will build relationships with the communities they are in, get to know people. You know, that can lead to, to tips, a sense of the, uh, you know, the socioeconomic conditions in each individual neighborhood. That seems to be the biggest picture item. And some of the other things are giving uh, cops more technology. And while right now modern cruisers are equipped with technology that uh, they could use in the vehicles, they're worried, uh, or this report is concerned about the distance that that creates between officers and residents of the city. Uh, With me now to talk a little bit more about this and get into depth in uh, the police perspective on this is Mike McCormick, who's president of the Toronto Police Association. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Mike, first off, what's your you know, off-the-cuff response to all of this, uh, this, this whole report that's been you know, uh, almost a year in the making here? Well, you know, if, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And uh, the whole thing... Uh, you Are you saying it's a at- duck? It's a duck, a duck quick. But the, the thing is, let's call it what it is. It's a cost-cutting exercise. Uh, I don't believe in any way it's a look at efficiencies are, are, are making uh, for excellence in policing. Uh, it was done in a cost-cutting way. And, I, I, you know, Mark, you know, uh, said a couple of really interesting things, words like hope and... Mark Saunders, the police chief? You... No, no. Uh, oh, Mark Pugash. Our, 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 we were just Mark Carcassel, yeah. one of the other Marks. Sorry. Marks. Yeah, the, the third Mark. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, like you were saying, like words like hope, well, you know, you think they would have had the data and the uh, information and I'm all for community-based policing, getting our officers out of the community. It is a hugely effective way to police, but it is labor and resource intensive. And they're talking about doing this, getting rid of 500 officers to do this. This is the part that shocks me. Well, yeah, Mike, that seems a little counterintuitive when we're talking about, you know, more cops out of the cruisers and putting them onto the street and and then talking about having less officers. Where are we uh, when we're taking officers off of the force? Where are they coming from and, and why are they not winding up as being more of the guys uh, pounding the pavement? And, and that, that, that's a big question, you know. And where are these officers coming from? And they're saying, okay, well, we're going to stop responding to certain calls. But what calls are we not going to respond to? Oh, we're going to have alternate service delivery models. Well, who's going to go, number one? And, and the, the other issue is that what we found when we looked at all the calls that we do in policing, 80% of the calls that we do are either have a crime or disorder uh, component to it, and that's why a police officer goes. If you know, if there's a dispute at a bar or something, you get there. It could be a fraud, a fight, or anything else. And, and now are, is the city going to hire a whole bunch of bylaws and, uh, and you're going to have like 10 people waiting around for a radio call? 
like I, I just don't understand the model. Yeah, it, it certainly wouldn't be practical to have specialized members no. of the force. One guy who's good at bars, a, a girl who's good at dealing with domestics and uh, and whatnot. It just it, it, you'd be waiting around for your specific call for far yeah. too long. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then that's what uh, a concern that we have. And again, like when we're talking about this and we're looking at that, and right now our officers are burning out. They are bouncing from call to call. Uh, in, 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 you know, a priority one call, your most important call takes around 14 minutes, which is up almost uh, three minutes uh, from 10 years ago. And I'm actually now, surprised it only takes 14 minutes. 14 minutes. Well, yeah, just sit there and count 14 minutes if you think somebody's breaking into your house or something. <laughs> yeah. Please, oh, you're saying it takes 14 minutes to get to the call. To get there. Oh, no, yeah. I thought you were saying 14 minutes for the entire call and then the no. cop's got to move on to something else. No, 14 minutes to get there. 14 yeah, that's, to get there. That is not the amount of time I'd like. No. No, I would and, I would like maybe five. Yeah, well, I mean, the industry standard is six to nine. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about time on call, which you, you, you were referring to, that's 487 minutes is the average time to do a priority one call. And that's up from 163 minutes 15 years ago. So Mike, I'm all... Sorry. No, no, Mike, what, uh, you know, when we're talking about neighborhood policing, we've heard a lot about neighborhood policing before, and there was Tavis, and there are all sorts of different task forces really going down for at least a decade, maybe more. What is going to be different about this new model of neighborhood policing that they're suggesting? That's a great question. I mean, and I'm, I'm, you know, I worked in Regent Park most of my career. Uh, I love being in the community. I love community policing. And then that's a great question. I don't know what's going to be different. I don't know. Like this whole new or modernization or transformation or whatever you want to call it, it's policing 101, community-based policing. But again, we need the bodies to do it. And, you know, one of the lines in the report is that uh, neighborhood policing, it will be the focal point of the service and it will be incorporated, sorry, I'm paraphrasing, into all aspects of how the service does business. So does... What does that mean to you beyond just sort of a you know a nice fluffy political statement? Yeah, I, I mean it's a yeah it's almost uh, and uh, excuse me for laughing it's almost comical but you know community based policing has always been the cornerstone of policing uh, and what we need to do for preventing crime crimes being part of the neighborhood but there's also this whole response component and everything else so you know I'm just trying to figure out where they're gonna how they got to this number and it's easy to figure out they needed to achieve a savings of. $100 million, and they did it by eliminating positions. And now they're going to reverse engineer it and say, oh, here's how many police officers we need to we needed to lose. Let's do it, and let's see how it works out. And to me, that makes no sense at all. You know, when they're talking about having specially trained people working in the community, uh, I think that that does make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Uh, but they would be working on sort of a three-year stint. Is there a reason why you wouldn't, you know, if someone's working out really well, like you said, in Regent Park, is there a reason why you'd want to transfer them away from that neighborhood? No, and, and what it is is that there's a resource, uh, you know, uh, resource issues, meaning that, that police officers. So, you, I, like I said, I spent a, a, a lot of my career working in Regent Park. Uh, I was a community foot officer for many, many years, and I, I think that's, you know, a great thing to have that type of commitment. But as long as you have that resource, you're going to say that an officer, there's also like the, uh, uh, you know, development of the officer as well. So you stay in that one area. Are you going to stay in that one area for the rest of your life? Or you want to get, because, you, you know, you want to try different things. You want to become a detective. You want to get into major crime. So there's all these moving parts that they have to look at. And again, 
I don't think that they've uh, really landed on any concrete or evidence base that's going to support this utopian model that they have. Is there a fear, Mike, that, you know, if someone were in a neighborhood for more than three years, they might get a little too attached to some of the people and the places and then maybe lose some of their object, objectivity? No, you know you know what? And like I said, I, am, I love community-based policing. My time in Regent Park was some of the most memorable. I still have relationships in that community to this day, and I think that is great as long as that's what that police officer wants to do and, and has an affinity with the neighborhood. Just because you put a police officer in a neighborhood doesn't make that officer a great community officer. It's, it's the commitment of the officer in that neighborhood. So, like I said, this utopian model, we're just going to put people there for three years and isn't it going to be great. Well, where are we going to get the people from and, and how are we going to make these commitments? So taking everything that you've seen in this report today um, and, you know, comparing it to obviously your job, which is trying to protect the police officer's jobs and their longevity in the career, you know, what what would you do or change about this report to adapt it to a model that would be a little bit more palatable for you? Well, what I would have done originally is I would have had more consultation when we pulled the public, only 3% of the public were even aware of the transformational task force. I think that their community uh, outreach and consultations were a joke. Uh, they very few people in the community attended these things. Uh, I would have made sure, like, what, what I did is I looked at New York and I looked at Chicago and I said, okay, what was happening? It was so different. New York had record crime uh, drop. Uh, Chicago, we all know what's going on there. It's crazy. And what happened is New York uh, put people out in the community. 40% of an officer's time now is done in the community. And, and it's having great results, reduction in crime. But what they did is they made sure they had the staffing numbers. What I would have liked to see is that them to have a formula and say, this is how many officers we need to be to so that we can have an acceptable response time, a uh, amount of community involvement, and then we work towards that. Not let's cut 450 more police officers, achieve a budgetary uh, 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 equation here, and let's see how it goes. Well, I think, Mike, just sort of anecdotally from my own interactions, you know, when you see a police car on the street, and I think there's something that the uh, report gets right, there is sort of that barrier. You see a police car on the street, and for the average person, it might make you think, oh, slow down, or it might make you think, oh, there goes a cop, but you might not even think of them at all. But when you see them walking the beat, I think that there is sort of that feeling of, you know, depending on your perspective, of, of safety, of feeling like, oh, there's someone here who's uh, out looking out for the community and he's not, you know, hiding behind a car and he's out there on the street or he or she, uh, maybe they're in a pair, are walking down the street together as well. And uh, when... It, my experience going to New York City, it's almost impossible to walk down a block and not run into a cop uh, walking the beat. For me, yeah. that makes me feel safer to see them there. So that's a part of the report that I really like. Yeah. You're saying the staffing just isn't there. That's it. I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. And what we, we've even done studies and looked at properly deployed police officers have a, an impact. And it, it's, it's 100% proven have an impact on quality of life public safety and crime reduction and i agree with exactly what you're saying but all i'm saying is don't tell us you're going to do this and by the way we're going to do with 500 less police officers uh 400 from the the last five years so total of 900 less police officers and we're going to do that with this come on 
Appreciate your time today, Mike. I really do appreciate it, and good luck uh, trying to make all of this work for your uh, members and for uh, the uh, city of Toronto and the population here that uh, looks to the police for their safety. Yeah, thanks very much. And when I refer to Mark in the future, should I call him Little Mark? (laughs) Mark Kark. How about that? Does that work? Mark Kark. (laughs) That works. Okay. Okay. Appreciate it, Mike. Much appreciated. That's Mike McCormick, who is the uh, president of the Toronto Police Association.